Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. The first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. I'm your host, Nick Williams, and this week's show is brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Are you frustrated by your typical hunting and fishing magazines? Are you tired of reading content meant for guys up north or in the Midwest? Don't get left behind following the guidance of guys who don't hunt and fish in your home state. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors magazine subscription and become a better southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors magazine can be found at your local Books A Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. Alrighty, guys, welcome back to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report. This week, to start things off, we've got the man, the myth, the legend, Clayton Bats over on Lake Eufaula. Clayton, how you doing today, sir? Pretty good. Just getting off the water from a trip today. Well, that's good. I hope your trip went better than mine. I snuck out this morning to fish for an hour or two before the workday started, trying to do a little bit of fly fishing, and today was they were just not having it. I got skunked, but I seen some nice deer. I was fishing over on some core engineer land at a core boat ramp, and uh, there's some deer that may be in danger next weekend if I can get freed up. So uh, at least I got that. How'd your trip go today? Oh, we ran a six-hour trip this morning. We started about nine. Six hours, we probably caught 25, and our best five would probably have been close to 19 pounds. So we had a good day, had a good number, had some good quality mixed in. Just a fun day all around. We had good weather. Couldn't ask much better. The weather was beautiful this morning. I think it was 45, and it was just crystal clear where I was. I mean, blue skies, just a beautiful day to be alive and, and be out. Was looking at turkeys on the side of the road, deer on the side of the road. Every Everybody was seemed like they was happy to be out there. So uh, what what's the fishing looking like? It's been a while since we've caught up. I think last time we talked, you know, fish were still kind of in that summer pattern. It was, you know, back when them surface temperatures were getting up there in the 90s. And I know that's all changed and will keep changing. So uh, kind of walk me through how that fall transition is looking. He falls a little different than probably a bunch of people you talk to. Even the guys I take on guide trips right now, they always seem to say, where are the fish going back in the creeks and this and that. I try to explain to them, you fall is about a straight river system. We got four creeks. There's not every fish is going in a creek here. It's unlike a lake, like I'm sure, like Smith Lake and stuff like that. Pretty much here, they'll either push deeper or either they'll kind of get there on those flats. Right now, I've been catching them real good out super deep in timber. That's the way we caught about everyone today catching them anywhere from 20 to 30 feet, maybe with a drop shot, dropping on a breather casting, Chico trimmer in so that you can let sink down there and fly through that timber real slow. As far as the shallow bite, our water is still low right now. So the shallow bite, it's hit or miss. You might cover 10 miles to catch a couple, but you better be burning the bank. So the offshore bite, as you follow is always known for, it's still the best bite. I got you. So have you noticed, are you saying more or less that fish are kind of still doing what they were doing two weeks ago? Yes. The only thing I do different in the fall that I think a bunch of people don't do here because they do want to get up there and you can't catch them up on some of the uh, bars, the shallow bars. There'll be some fish schooling up there in that six foot and shallow range, but those are a bunch of your smaller fish. Some of them are keepers, but a lot of them are like those 12 inches, just little bitty guys. One thing I do is I go deeper and the quality of fish seems to still be down there in that you know 25 to 30 foot stuff weather don't seem to bother them as bad they're just happy down there and they'll group up really strong around that timber this time of year in the fall do you have any tips for for fishing down that deep because i know that's something like you talk about fishing 25 30 feet deep and here where i'm at man like you would be for most of the water i got access to you would just be dragging bottom 
catfishing. We just don't generally seem to get bass hold that deep. So when I do get up to some of the lakes where that's a thing, I always struggle a little bit just because it's not something I get to do every weekend. What What's your best tips for fishing down that deep, feeling bites and, and kind of keeping track of what your lure's doing? The main thing is you've got to trust those graphs. I mean, those lower range graphs, you better have a good, clean image and spend time behind the wheel looking for them. But when you find them, you might be on a ledge and I mean, you fall has got quite a bit of timber in it. But when you idle over that one tree, it'll light up. And it'll look like Christmas ornaments hanging off of it. As long as I've done this, I still can't explain why they'll light one tree over another one. Because I'll catch them in one tree, and then there might be another tree that's 30 yards or 20 yards away from it. And I'll catch them in it tomorrow. So the way they just move around trees, I mean, I think it's more bait-related, which one they ever the bait's relating more to that day or where the sun's at. It could be a million, you can think of fishing scenarios where that other tree might be better. But the best thing to do is just idle until you find them, and you got to trust those grass. For sure. I'll ask you this now. I think I was talking, I forget who it was. It may have been Steve Graziano who was talking about, I want to say it was Steve. We were talking about catching some spotted bass over that way. Is that something that you ever run into? Yeah, I mean, I don't target spots, but yeah, they do mix in. Today, I had a spot that was close to four pounds, and I mean, that's a good spot to hear. Last year during the fall, my best day of just spots, I had right at 18 pounds of just spots. But when you get out there on those deep fish and that timber, that's where the spots do like to live here, and the big ones. And so they will mix in with those bigger largemouth down there that deep. Yeah, well, actually, that's that's been something I hadn't caught really any spotted bass until this year. I started catching a few Alabama bass and some Choctaw bass and was actually having a conversation with one of our riders. He catches a lot of spotted bass over on the river, kind of in west central Alabama. He's actually writing an article starting to deep dive into it. And apparently, there's been a lot of taxonomic revision. And, and just that, that's becoming a fish that gets kind of more and more recognized, I guess. There's more people paying attention to to spots and i know i was talking with him he's an old timer been fishing out there for 50 years and he's like yeah when we was kids we knew that there was two different types of bass but we didn't we didn't know what they were and he's like now come to find out i've been calling them spotted bass and it's technically an alabama bass so it's i I have to ask i get more and more interested in them every time i go out and catch one so yeah this is gonna probably sound weird coming from a guide and I mean, I respect all the fish out there, but we don't have, these are straight spotted bass. And on the Chattahoochee River, the Flint River, which where I go catch shoal bass, that spot is an invasive species. And I keep them a lot. And I'll give them to people in the bank. I'll take home. So if anybody comes to you ball and they want to take some fish home, I would highly, highly suggest that they take home the smaller spotted bass. They're good eating. They're a little bit easier to catch, and they're an invasive species. So you're doing the lake, you know, you're doing it a favor, and then you're getting some good food to take home. For sure. Yeah, I know. I've, I've talked with several anglers who share that, and I know uh, that's a problem with uh, red-eye bass, starting starting to fly fish for red-eye bass, and that's the thing. There's a lot of drainages where spotted bass hybridize with them and kind of take over, and you kind of start to see that, that gene and that species kind of go away. So uh, definitely a good one to keep. It's funny how, you know, a, a native fish – then becomes an invasive fish and i know that they've uh I've, I've heard some conversations about problems with you know like your what do they call them down in in florida like your tiger bass and stuff like that when the whole southern right. you know, bass pond became a thing they started breeding bass and then those bass get in different waterways and and start to hybridize with the other fish so it's a uh it's interesting for sure um we was actually catching spotted bass i was up on the Talapoose river last weekend and we did a uh, a goose trip we kind of kind of did a float Float and shoot, cast and blast. And I got to ask, I've done a little bit of waterfowl hunting over there on Eufaula. Are y'all starting to see geese show up where you're at? 
Some geese. We'll start seeing. It's got to get colder up north for us to start really seeing the ducks. I've seen a few, but it's nothing like what it'll be in a couple of months. We're still a little early. We got our first. I mean, this is the first kind of week we've had cold weather. This morning when I left my house, it was 35. And by the time I got to fall, I think it was 42. So we just needed to get a little bit colder uh, up north and push some of the birds down. For sure. So talking about that cold weather, I, I noticed that this morning. This was uh, one of our, our coldest mornings that I've been home for and been fishing. I was actually the last cold front. I was up in North Alabama, and I think it was like right at 32 degrees, like starting to frost up where I was a couple weekends ago. But today it was 40 all the way down here in Baldwin County. You do it more than I do. Like I've kind of got some of my own theories on on just how to stay warm and how to function on a boat. I know I think we had this conversation in the summer about just how to stay cool when it's 107 degrees out on the water because you know you and I both know you especially temperatures always get magnified once you hit the lake. Whatever it says that it's going to be, where they're taking that weather reading in town at the airport, wherever it's always colder out on the water and it definitely feels colder with the humidity and once you uh crank that engine you start riding down the river what's your tips on kind of gritting your teeth and bearing it and surviving them early morning cold weather boat rides as the temperature starts to drop to me i'm not a real big glove fan but keeping your hands and your head warm your core then everything else kind of comes in. But as much as I sit up in a tree stand, I mean, I've kind of learned to layer. And the best thing, I don't have any clothing sponsors, so I can, I'm bound to wear everything. But the best thing i found is the Under Armour 4.0 that's got the fleece inside of it. Once I use that as my base layer, then my outer layers, I don't have to wear as much or if it's not going to be as cold or if I know it's going to be really cold then I'll really layer up on top of that. To me, the most important thing is a good base layer and your head. I know my I said my hands, but I'm terrible about gloves. I can't stand hunting in them. I can't stand fishing in them. I've tried every kind imaginable, and I just can't do it. They're definitely impossible to fish out of, and I'm I'm right there with you. I, uh, I'll make a concession on a really cold morning duck hunting, and I'll wear gloves, but man, I always, I hate running even a tiller, and especially if you got a fool with anything going down the river, just, just switching electronics on and off. Gloves are a hassle, and they end up in the floorboard usually, even if I try to wear them. So, <laughs> I can identify with you on that, man. I do try to wear them when I'm driving, but as soon as I stop, if I'm hunting, when I'm driving, I'll try to wear them. But right when I get there, they're off. And when I'm fishing, I'll wear them driving. But, you know, after you get your hands wet one time and you try to slide them in a glove, it's pretty much impossible. For sure. Do you have any tips? I know this is something that I fight with off and on, and it usually comes down to an old battery or some bad wiring or a gummed up carburetor but i know cold weather a lot of times can make any any little problems that you have with your engine a little bit worse and usually i've found that if you're going to have engine trouble it's going to be cold weather is that kind of mirror your experience a little bit yeah kind of with the voltage back there i don't run lithium right now i run just a straight normal battery the main thing is if you keep all the corrosion and those things and make sure you i gotta use a power pole charge and it maintains those batteries to keep all the levels uh, pretty equal you pretty much it eliminates that problem i know when i go out there and i mean i can pull up it on my app on my bolts do what each battery's reading and I know most of the time when I go to put in, I'm over 13 volts, and that thing will fire right up. The four-strokes, Mercury's are a little bit different than all the other two-strokes, too. I mean, well, they'll go and go. It's like starting your car up in the morning. It's going to crank. 
There we go. That, that's a nice thing to have because I can tell you, I've had some motors uh, that that was not a guarantee. If you get down into 20, sometimes you had to really uh, had to do some begging and some pleading to make that thing start up. Good to have one that starts reliably for sure. That's just the benefits of all the new four strokes. I mean, but you yeah. know, you walk out every morning, your car is going to crank. That boat motor these days is the same thing. And they're made to run longer. So many more benefits that four stroke than most people realize. The hours sure. on them is the main thing. I see all. I see all kind of people, they'll be like, you got 300 hours on the four stroke. You go down to saltwater, and when you do one of the reports, ask the saltwater guys how many hours they have on their four strokes. They'll be up in thousands. It just hasn't translated over to the bass guys yet where you can get thousands of hours out of a four stroke motor. They're used to a two stroke where they think 500 hours is a lot. On a four stroke, 500 hours is nothing. For sure. I'm, I'm still in the two stroke crowd. I'm, I'm just at that stage in my life where, uh, I'm, I'm happy with, with my two stroke, proud to have it, but I got a buddy with a four and it's different. And then them saltwater guys, like you said, that's a whole new thing. And two, I guess because of the nature of the saltwater, that's just something I've noticed from my friends who, who got those offshore bay boats. They're a lot better about maintenance than a lot of bass guys are, myself included. I, I, a lot of times, I did not go by best practices maintaining a motor, but some saltwater guys seem to be the guys who, you know, I, I know guys who, you know, have pretty much a service plan at their at their local marina, and that boat three or four times a year, you know, is, is getting serviced, if not more often. The guides, a lot of times, just once a month. It's, it's definitely I'm every a, a every thing. night Every 90 hours, and it's supposed to be 100, but every 90 hours, I get mine serviced. Just yeah. where I can, I mean, I know I'm getting it in there on time. It's a more of a self-conscious thing with me, knowing I'm taking care of that motor. And as long as you take care of that four-stroke, it's going to last a long time. I talked to a buddy the other day, and he's a saltwater guy. He had just got a new boat in January, and on those four-strokes, he had 700 hours on them already. And we were talking about the same thing with the number of hours, and the guys think that's a lot. And he said, I still consider these brand new. And I was like, me too. But a bunch of guys, they're so used to that two-stroke, and they've got it in their head that four or 500 hours is a lot of hours on a motor, but four strokes these days is not. For sure. Well, man, it's, it's always, every time we talk, it's always a good talk. I'll, I'll close. I got one final question, because me and you've had some questions in the past about deer hunting, and uh, we got bow season upon us now. Uh, did you manage to make it out open a weekend? Our rifle season comes in this weekend. I live in Georgia, so I have the benefit of that. Ah, um, that's right. That's I've, been, right. I've been slammed during boat seasons, and to be honest with you, I've got a couple of old deer that need to be killed, but this is the first year in a long time where I did not have, like, a real good one that I was targeting, and that was the deer I was going after. As a matter of fact, I was talking to uh, Tony. He's one of my sponsors down in Florida, owns Polar Insulation, and I told him, I said, Tony, can we please go somewhere hunting this year? I said, I'd love to. I just, I don't want to go to no high fence or somebody sits in the blind with me. I said, I would like to find a place where we go lease a farm for, you know, five to seven days and it's a do-it-yourself hunt. I, just, I don't like to shoot something with it in its ear in a fence. <laughs> sure. You know, it's actually interesting. Uh, I just got off the phone with Nick over at Land Trust, and they've got a really cool program set up where you can basically, it's like Airbnb for hunters, but you can do kind of exactly what you're talking about. Like you can, you can go find a private parcel. I think he described it as like virtual door knocking. Now, like I've actually got it pulled up on another browser on my laptop right here. Like I'm sitting here looking at 220 acres in Pearl River, Louisiana, where you can go do a spring turkey hunt for $200 a day and know that you're showing up and just hunting private land, you know, talk directly with the farmer, book a date, stay at his little this guy's got a cabin and you can go do it. it's not high fence but it's also not trying to uh muscle in with all the other young bucks at the wma 
That's right. kind of a neat little thing. I'll, I'll put that bug in here. That's a that's a thing that's out on the market now. I'd have never believed that you'd get to the day where you could sit there and book a hunt. There's a guy up here in Tuscaloosa got a deer hunt. All kind of cool stuff like that. And it's just farmers, you know, leasing out land, just make extra buck. I'd be interested in getting that link. Yeah, I'll send it to you once we get off the show. Well, Clayton, if uh, if folks want to get with you, if people are looking to book a trip, or I know you do some electronics classes too, how to find fish on side sonar, down scan, forward facing, and all that. If people want to get in touch with you about that, where's a good place to reach out to you at? And since we were kind of going into this with a hunt, if anybody would be interested in trading any guide trips for any hunting, please contact me, and I guarantee you we can work something out. <laughs> Other than that, they can give me a call at 334-310-8338. Uh, look me up on Facebook, Lake Upala Fishing Guide Clayton Bats, or either uh, on my website, just lakeupalafishingguide.com. There we go. You guys be sure to check them out. And Clayton, as always, appreciate you being on the show, sir. Yes, sir. I appreciate you. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Killer Dock. Today we're going to profile another common form of dock dysfunction, dirty dock. Have you ever cleaned up a nice mess of fish and then watched your wife's face in disgust when she sees your dirty dock as a result? It's happened to all of us who are cleaning fish on old, wooden fish cleaning tables that don't slope toward the water. You need dock enhancement. Killer Dock fish cleaning stations are marine-grade aluminum coated with a ceramic finish that makes cleaning your dirty dock a cinch. The scales and slime drain directly into the water, through the legs, or through the slots. You choose the style. Check out the best fish cleaning stations known to mankind at KillerDock.com. All right, guys. Up next, we got Peter Jordan from the Lost Angler Fly Shop down here in Mobile, Alabama, here on the Mobile Tensaw Bay. How you doing today, Peter? I'm doing good, man. Yeah, we're on Mobile Bay. We're in Daphne, so we kind of get to we get to experience a lot of what uh, Lower Alabama's got to offer. And like you and I were talking about before we started, we're so lucky that we do have such a huge variety of fish. We can fish inshore, we can fish rivers, we can fish bass, we can fish redfish, whatever. So it's it's, it's really wonderful. I took a gentleman. He and I went fishing the other night. We caught six different species in one evening. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So is that, if y'all were fishing down there at the bay, is that one of them things, were they all inshore saltwater fish or did you catch a mix? I know I've been out there before and depending on whether it was the front half or the back half of the trip and what the tide was doing, I've sat there in the same place and caught, you know, started off catching bass and end up catching redfish later. Was it kind of that sort of a deal? Yeah, 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 yeah. We were fishing in the fish river. We started in Weeks Bay and we worked our way up and it, it let us go from speckled trout and white trout and redfish to largemouth and crappie. And it was just a ton of fun. It really lets you work your way through and really get to really appreciate just the variety we have down here in lower Alabama. So, so I ask you a question, and this is kind of a, a, a personal interest for me. Uh, that's one of the perks about this job is a lot of times I get to ask the questions that I was going to come and ask you anyway. For that type fishing, like where you're starting out kind of doing the inshore saltwater thing, and then you're finishing up doing the freshwater thing, catching bass and crappie, are you fishing multiple different fly rod setups and just switching? Or do you have a good all-purpose rod that you take with you on trips like that? Oh, man, you can do a six, seven, or an eight-weight rod. Use that same rod the entire time. And, you know, there's a ton of times, man, this is no joke, we can use the same fly and not even change up what we're doing, just change location to where we're at and be super effective going through all of those fish. I mean, we literally use the same fly. Uh, we use the B-Chain Seducer. It's on the Lost Angler YouTube channel. Super simple, deadly effective little fly. And when I tell you I've literally caught everything that swims in lower Alabama on that one fly, I'm not joking. I've caught redfish, specks, largemouth, 
Choctaw, a.k.a. Spotted Bass, Crappie, Brim, Flounder. Like, if it swims down here, I've caught it on that fly. And so that's what's really great is because, you know, these fish are generally will end up eating the same forage, but it'll just be in different parts of the water system. So, like, let's take recently we just had a bajillion and ten white shrimp come into Mobile Bay, and they're still in there. They're still in the marsh. They'll be in here probably another maybe another moon phase. That'd be about it. But they're in here uh, spawning, and shrimp are scatter spawners, so they get up in the, in the weeds, and, and, and they spawn. And so that's what's happening right now. These shrimp have come in. They're doing their thing, and fish all over are taking advantage of it. You know, they're getting to enjoy the same thing. Kind of like before the dams came in, the mullet run would start in Mobile Bay and end up all the way in Birmingham. So we have just an amazingly, which is really cool because you can have that, you know, one type of forage like that, and it affects so many different species. For sure. And I'm, I'm looking just for our listeners. I'm pulling up on my computer and I'm looking at this seducer fly right here. And it's basically looks to me like a really kind of almost like a bushy, stiff, hackled, woolly booger up front. And then you've got on the back end, you've just got a really long tail just looks like two kind of cape feathers sticking out back there is that right that am i looking at the right fly yeah it's right no 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 no, no. you're totally good it's an ultra simple little fly uh the cool thing about that fly is it's a traditional saltwater pattern the seducer has been around it's probably one of the first serious saltwater patterns to come out of florida and the only thing you know the only thing you're doing with the bee chain seducer is putting some bee chain on the front of it and calling it done but so you can literally make that fly with three feathers um, I generally do two on each side for the tail, so all together I'll have five feathers, a little bit of flash, and a little bit of filler flash, V-chain, and that's it. I mean, you can bust these things out in five, ten minutes each and uh, build them in multiple sizes, and they just work. You know, the thing about it is, you know, it, it's kind of like, for us, I would say it's like an Adam's flash for trout guys. Like, you ask them what's an Adam's flash supposed to imitate, and they're like, it's, uh, it definitely imitates a, uh, a bug, right? And for us, that little fly is, it definitely imitates something in the marsh. But at the same time, let's say I go up the Perdido River, I go up the Six River, I go up the uh, Chickasaw, I go way on up there where there's no salt water whatsoever. That little fly at that point now looks like a little darker. It's just a great general pattern that gets down not too far and lets you work the upper part of the water column super effectively. And it lands unbelievably light. I'll even take like a large gurgler and drop it underneath the gurgler. So I've got a, what I, I jokingly call my hopper dropper. And yeah. that's a, a great way to explore new water. For sure, for sure. I'm, I'm a big fan for freshwater. I'm a big fan of the uh, popper-dropper combo. You mentioned Perdido River, so, uh, me and you've talked about that a few times. I think I've told you I used to hunt that way a whole lot, and it just never crossed my brain back then as a younger man to go out there and fly fish it. I was taking kiddo. I, I took her to get out of Mama's hair here a couple weekends ago and uh, made it down there to some of them sandbars, and, man, with all this dry weather we've been having, super, super clear, pretty water small water you know not a lot of water in that system right now i know that's the issue with the whole state i went up to the west fork of a uh, uh, little river here a couple weekends ago and man it uh, the river i don't know where it went uh, me and the fish were both out there looking for it but uh right right now this time of the year with it being so dry and starting to, to dip a little bit you got any good tips for hitting the perdido uh well perdido is really fun man it's a really uh perdido is actually well within its banks uh, it's not, it hasn't really dropped water level any. It's right where it should be. Uh, we've been blessed in the 
lower Alabama to have pretty consistent rain, so we're not really in a terribly bad spot. We're in a drought, but not a terrible drought. Uh, the advantage is that water is super clear. So you, let's say you wanted to catch, you know, little Choctaws and you wanted to enjoy fishing brim, you could definitely take, like, the kid at the bomber, Sam Swinbug, whatever. Then you, I really recommend dead drifting it. But what you really want to do with that is you want to get it, if that thing isn't hitting the bank, you're fishing too far out. Then you can dead drift that on four and five ways and have a wonderful day. But one of the cool things about that river, too, is it's got some really nice largemouth. I think I've shown you some pictures of them in there. And I like throwing bigger articulated streamers in there. And again, it's the same thing. You have to, because the water is so clear, you have to smack that fly on the bank back it into that cover like it's got to get in their grill sometimes they'll chase it but in general they've got so much because the water is so clear they can really analyze the plot so you want to put it right in their face where they don't have the opportunity to go you know what i, I don't think that's the right thing for me today that's going to be that's true for uh chocolate that's that's true for uh chickasaw right now that's true for uh six river and uh, i haven't made over to escatiba lately but i'm pretty sure it probably follows soon and sure. uh, so that's our river really good right now. Uh, you could definitely, if you wanted to, you could totally fish top water all day long. I'm, and when this is clear, I'm not big on poppers. Let me let me say that. I'm not big on poppers right now. I really want to fly there. I want them to dive. It's going to give me that little bit of gurgle. And that's going to be so much more effective. But I haven't had great success with small streamers either, which you would think super clear water goes to smaller streamers. That hasn't been the case for me. I'm throwing bigger streamers, something that gets in their face and elicits that really aggressive reaction that I'm going to eat this because it's in my face. And that's been what's been most successful. So for me, it's kind of funny. I'm either throwing really small stuff uh, for top water or I'm throwing big old streamers. There's really not a whole lot in between right now. But that'll change. It changes as the year goes on. And we're not seeing too many crawfish in the river right now. So instead, you know, if you want to bounce the bottom, you can do a small gulping fly. Or you could do a Helgermine pattern. Both of those were super effective. You were saying earlier, you were talking about Chickasaw. You were referring to like Chickasaw Creek, like flows down there past, I guess, most people here local would know, uh, like Chickasaw Park. Is that what you were talking about, yeah. fishing? Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Houston is really good access. Now you actually have to run up, going up river a good long ways in a power yeah. boat. And you see, you get access from the bridge right there. But then they closed that off, that access off, which I, I don't blame them. There was, you know, a bunch of folks doing questionable stuff underneath there. So, I totally get sure. it, but still kind of sucks. But that river, uh, that little creek up there is extremely good, uh, and it fishes the same way. All of our blackwater rivers are really, really similar. Uh, one thing I think we're all sleeping on, though, in lower Alabama for freshwater is our urban rivers, our urban streams. Like, if, let's say you take Three Mile Creek in Mobile. That is the best dry fly slash topwater creek ever, period. I, I, hold up, hold up, hold up, now. hold big, up, Peter. Hold, big, hold big up, bass. No, 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 no. We got to go back, Johnny. You got to delete that one. We can't talk about that. We can't let people know about three months. <laughs> Shame on you, Peter. Shame on you. Hey, I'd run, I run this show to learn other people's secret fishing spots. I don't need nobody knowing my secret fishing spots, Peter. <laughs> I'm just you know, kidding. and I tell you, I, I, no, I believe you. And you know, um, that's Lava Creek, also really good too. Um, and, and I really wish more people would go and try that out. And, you know, back behind uh, USA Infirmary, back behind the boys, uh, over by Municipal Park, I really wish people would go check it out because it's a beautiful creek. It flows through Mobile, and it's a creek that is honestly tells the story of Mobile as a ghost. And I really wish more people would experience it. 
so that maybe we would do a little bit more to take care of it, if that makes sense. Because I mean, people take care of what they love, and if you don't go out and experience it, you're not going to want to go do it. You're like, oh, well, that's a trash river, a trash creek. Well, go through sure. and do it one day. Go try it out. You are going to be shocked. It's amazing fishing. And the bass are freaking huge. For sure. It's uh, a lot of those creeks. I grew up on a creek similar on the eastern shore that uh, doesn't get a whole lot of attention. And because it doesn't get the attention, it doesn't get the protection that it needs. Like it's good. It's catch 22, right? Like nobody knows about it. So I can fish it. I have it all to myself. But, you know, as, as time goes on, nobody else cares about it. And it just kind of gets overdeveloped and, and kind of ain't what it used to be. So it, it's definitely great to raise awareness. And I know we were talking a little bit before you came on the show. Y'all got a tournament coming up that kind of focuses on that, don't you? Yeah, we sure do. Ben and I were actually out on the uh, water today. Captain Ben, he uh, works part-time at the shop. Uh, he's the knowledgeable person at the store. Uh, he likes to be hanging out there, so that's pretty nice. We were pre-fishing for the tournament. Uh, that's going to be November 4th. The third is going to be Captain's meeting. The fourth is going to be the actual tournament. Uh, it's a CPR catch and release redfish tournament. Uh, it goes to benefit Mobile Bank Keepers. Our sponsors are TFO, R.L. Winston, Bauer, Royal Wolf, and more to come. So we're going to have a lot of great sponsors, tons of good raffles. Raider River is going to bring some amazingly cool stuff, some great tasty beverages for the grown folks. The Bailey Wicks are going to be playing. That's after the weigh-in. I, I do air quotes for weigh-in. CPR. So even if you don't fish it, it's going to be a ton of fun. We're going to have really cool routes. So you get to come out, have fun. We're probably going to have barbecue. We might have oysters out there, too. It's really meant to be a wonderful way for us to gather as a fly fishing community in lower, on, the, on the northern Gulf Coast and just, and just really have a great time. It sounds like an awesome event. I definitely, I'm going to, I'm going to try to make that one. I'm going to add that to the calendar, see if I can't sneak away from it. And I'd encourage listeners to do the same. Um, and y'all definitely be sure if y'all are gearing up for it, y'all go check out Peter. He's over in Daphne, Lost Angler Fly Shop. Always a pleasure talking with him. Knowledgeable guy. Got a bunch of great products and he's just right there. You can make a pit stop and, and drive five minutes up the road and, and be putting your fly in the water, chest out your new gear that you just got. Peter, as always, I appreciate you being on the show. Drive safe, and uh, I'll, yeah, I'll try to catch up with you at that tournament, sir. That sounds good, man. Next time you got some secret creeks, you want me to tell, tell people about it. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> man, you're lucky I don't blacklist you from the show for bringing that one up. But, uh, <laughs> but for real, I hope I hope people I hope people fish it. And uh, hey, maybe maybe I'll run into you out there one of these days. I don't doubt it, man. Just holler at me. It's not like you don't got my number. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We'll you go, have we'll a go good. Fish it together. Absolutely. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by L&M Marine. L&M Marine has something for everyone, from small hunting boats to pontoon boats to bigger bay boat and offshore hybrids. L&M Marine LLC prides itself on its customer service and knows how important it is to be taken care of and to have someone you can trust. They are locally owned and regularly support the surrounding community. L&M Marine provides superior customer service and has an entire team that consists of professional sales members, finance experts, service technicians, and a knowledgeable parts and accessory staff to fully support you. Go visit their friendly, reliable, and experienced staff today. L&M Marine is located six miles north of I-10 at 34600 Highway 59 in Stapleton, Alabama. You can also reach them by phone at 251-937-1380. All righty, guys. Last guest for the day, we got Dip McMillan, crappie fishing legend down here on the Mobile Tensaw Delta. Dip, how you doing this evening, sir? Doing pretty good, Nick. How about you, buddy? Oh, man, I can't complain. I've been enjoying some of this 45-degree weather we've been having early in the morning. 
man, I'm telling you, man, it's been beautiful, man. It's something else. It's the, man, it's that perfect time of the year. The only complaint I got is it's hard to decide, do I go hunting or do I go fishing? They're both pretty good right now. So uh, here lately, <laughs> I've been fishing, but this morning I was up in Clark County and I, I saw some deer and some turkeys and uh, these deer were just right here on some property that, that's public access and uh, they may be in danger come this next weekend dip. They may have messed up. They may have shown their hand a little too soon. So, uh, how how you been doing, man? You've been uh, you've been catching crappie. Oh yeah, Nick. Like you just said about the cool weather, man. It have got these crappies on fire, man. Um, I went Friday and Saturday, man, and let me tell you, the bite was awesome. I mean, both days, and it was still good with a neat tide too. The tide didn't move that much, and that bite, man, it was just still awesome. Well, good deal. Well, what what was your secret to success Friday and Saturday? What was the magic sauce? Well, both days I used minnows, but like I said, um, with this um, cool temp, those fish was in six to eight foot of water on structure. So I just did my basic, man. I just pulled right on top of them. Well, trolled right on top of them with some minnows and jigs. And the go-to bait this weekend, or special Friday, and I got it all on film, too, on my um, Outdoors with Dippy YouTube. The go-to bait was minnows and um, that monkey milk and a blue shad from ATX. Those two baits, man, was on fire, man. Both trips, man, I know I caught over 150 fish. Kept my limit of quality 10 and a half to 14 to 15 inch fish both days. Man, that's hard to complain. You, uh, you've been picking up as Miss Becky over there at Boutwell's. Is she keeping all of her minnows fresh and lively? Oh, yeah. I had about two dozen left over, and I just used them for Saturday. So those minnows are hefty, man. And uh, I, guess, I tell you what, um, this time of the year, and you keep that temperature right in those ingle coolers, you can keep those minnows three to four days easily. For sure. But she got used to seeing me come in there with my angles, and I picked up a little lithium battery for mine. And uh, <laughs> she actually saw mine so much that she went this spring and she ordered her a few. I think this is the first year they've that she's carried the aerators at the shop. She's carried the angles. I can't remember if I bought it from her or from Outdoor Addiction there in Bay Manette. But uh, may may have come from her shop, my angles cooler. But for sure, man, this time of the year, it's a lot easier to keep minnows alive than it is when it's 100 degrees outside. Oh, it is, Nick, no doubt, buddy. This time of the year, I usually keep a um a frozen 20-ounce or a small Gatorade bottle in my angle cooler. But like you said, this time of the year, you don't have to, man, because um it's not tremendous hot. And those minnows, they can, um, they can survive this time of year big time. For sure, for sure. You, you got any tips as far as how, how you rig up your minnows? I know you said that I, I think that you was, was kind of drifting over the top of them. Do you ever slip cork rig them or just free line them out there? I do. Sometimes if I got a, a um and I got a um slip cork rig on my boat with the um ACC um six foot crappie um bait casting on we are casting rod. If I got like a big log or a treetop in the middle, not on the bank but in the middle, I can slip cork it. Oh man, that's fun. Um, just see what stage the fish is staging in. Just throw that minnow out there with a slip cork and watch that cork go down. And that's awesome. If I got some kids with me, I try to do that method a lot. If I got some kids with me, because who don't like watching a cork go down? I mean, I grew up on cork fishing, so man, I love to see a cork go down. So if I got some kids with me, or I got a big treetop and a wide open area that I ain't got, that I'm not gonna get tangled up on, I. I definitely throw that cork by six foot down or whatever the, the fish is suspended at but uh, like this sure. weekend now i was just trolling on top of them and my minnows i have a easy setup man i just use a number two sickle hook or a number two um regular a braiding hook with a um with a number four number split shot right on about six inches above the hook i mean mine's just simple and if i'm using a jig head i put a loop tie in it with a um a one eight or a one sixteen jig head, uh, same thing. I usually I put a um number four number five split shot right above it too. So I, mine's is simple. 
For sure. Yeah, I've found that uh, simple is, is best when it when it comes to crappie fishing, especially if, you like you talked about, you get kids involved. Me and my wife, we got on some good crappie fishing earlier this spring. Similar to what you're talking about, we was probably in six, eight feet of water in a little backwater creek that had a lot of lot of structure. We was basically just easing through there, and every time we'd see something on, I don't, I don't have forward-facing sonar, but we'd ease through that creek. You know, if we saw a structure... We'd we'd sit there and we'd circle back and we'd uh, we'd plop some bobbers out there and man, my wife had a ball this spring with just live minnows yeah. and a slip cork and, and some springtime crappie that moved up shallow. It was a uh, it was a couple of really really good days. I'm telling you, man. Uh, and and also, Nick, a big thing. I know a lot of people get discouraged. They can't catch crappie. They got to have live scope. And they'll see too. In this video, we're gonna be posting tomorrow. It's done now, but I'm just gonna post it tomorrow. You will see. There's no live scope in this video. My live scope, I got to send it off to Oklahoma and get it worked on with a cable. So you will see, man. You can still catch this without live scope. I mean, I do have a good low rent. That's my locator. I love that machine. It's a low rent carbon. I find fish with it. And that's when I throw my buoy out, and that's when I go back over top of them, or I throw a cork out on top of the fish I know they're at. Um, like I tell people, you can you can catch fish without live scope. I can caught 200 some fish this past weekend without live scope, and I had an awesome time, man. Awesome time. That's that's pretty good. I tell you what, now I'd like to see on a YouTube video if you take special requests. I I'd like to see you do one on some point one of them old B and M uh, fiberglass cane poles and no live scope. Just doing what you're talking about, just just live minnows cane pole i'd watch that i, I know that's uh you see that less and less on the delta but used to man spring and you fall do. you'd see them guys out there with them cane poles a little bitty john boat you'd have one guy sitting on the front one guy in the back of a little 12 foot boat and uh, a lot of times they were catching a lot of fish they, they did pretty well they'd come back to the boat ramp and that floor would be full of crappie they wouldn't even have a cooler but there was a couple guys up here you launch out of hubbards and upper bryants and all that i'm sure you've seen them back in the day too and uh they did real well for themselves, just with two B and M poles, yes, sir. and and just a insulated styrofoam bucket full of minnows, and they would wear a crappie out. So if you ever decide to do that video, let me know. Text that to me, and I'll watch it for sure. Absolutely, buddy. Absolutely. Well, good deal. Well, uh, Dip, I know that uh, we've talked about it in the past. Uh, you you got your organization, Dippy Outdoors. You know, you do guided trips, and in exchange for that, uh, you accept donations so that you can take kids and get them introduced to the outdoors, which is a great thing. We definitely support what you're doing there. If folks want to get yes, with sir. you on that. If folks want to help you out, make a donation, help get kids in the outdoors. Where's a good place to reach out to you? Yeah, you can reach out to me at um, Dippy Outdoors on Facebook or Dip McMillan on Facebook. And if you want to text or call me, my number on both of those pages. If I don't come in or get back with you when you call or um, I text you, I will get back with you as soon as possible. There we go. Absolutely. Y'all, Dip's a good guy. Catches a bunch of crappie. The money goes towards a good cause. If y'all want to get on a good fall crappie trip, check him out. And Dip, as always, I appreciate your time. Thanks for being on the show, sir. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate you, buddy. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Bucks Island. Bucks Island is a family-owned and operated business since 1948. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They love trade-ins for boats and motors. They can rig your boat or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory-trained and certified technicians. Visit them at 4500 Highway 77, Southside, Alabama, 35907 zip code, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. 
Well, folks, that wraps up this week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. If you'd like for us to email you the podcast, just text FISHING to 314-665-1767. Again, just text the word FISHING to 314-665-1767. Subscribe to our email list and we'll send you the new show each week. This week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Mallard Bay. Book your next guided hunting or fishing trip with thoroughly vetted guides or charters. Plan trips, buy gear, go experience. MallardBay.com And brought to you by Fish Bites. Whether you're hitting the sand with set rig or fishing the flats and marshes for speckled trout, redfish, and flounder, Fish Bites has something for you. Check out the full line of scented saltwater and freshwater baits at FishBites.com and by L&M Marine. L&M Marine has something for everyone, from small hunting boats to pontoons to bigger bay and hybrid boats for the hardcore angler. You can visit them at 34600 Highway 59 in Stapleton, Alabama, or give them a call at 251-937-1380. And by Hilton's Real-Time Navigator, bringing you the highest quality online satellite fishing charts since 2004. Your source for sea temps, allometry, currents, and watercolor at hiltonsoffshore.com. Also brought to you by Hayabusa. Hayabusa Fishing, extremely well known for their premium sabiki rigs, but also don't forget their full line of saltwater hooks and jigs as well as freshwater bass hooks. See what you've been missing at hayabusafishing.com.